should probably talk a little bit about who we are and what brings us to the table. I'm Kelly Wilson. I am a writer, primarily. I blog and write about religion and theology and culture. My bread and butter is also in advertising, so I also tend to think about things in terms of features and benefits and messaging and and telling stories to, to move hearts and minds. And it's interesting through Radical Love Live to take those skills that might apply to a product and apply them to a a concept that I'm really passionate about, which is love and being able to talk about spirituality in terms of a love that connects or is trying to connect all of us. I also, as I said, I work in, in productions at the cathedral. I've done that for close to 20 years now. I think I, I've recorded probably a thousand sermons. Wow. Yeah, I hope I picked up something along the way. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done the slow fade on them, although <laughs> there were one or two that I heard where I might. Um, but, uh, you know, some wonderful, wonderful stuff. And, uh, you know, I've learned a lot. It always gives me a lot to think about. So that's, that's what I do. So for me, I, uh, unlike Kelly, I don't work at the church in any way. I am just simply a congregant there at the cathedral. I have been a part of the congregation steadily for the past oh, two and a half years now, but I have visited in the past. Uh, even when I was questioning my faith, I would stroll into the cathedral because I found that huge open space comforting to me even when I wasn't sure what God was or if I even believed in a God or any kind of spirituality, but the space allowed me to be a part of that. But you know, back to the last couple of years, living in New York City, uh, what I do for a full-time job is I uh, teach uh, people how to stay out of car crashes. I work with professional drivers all over the place. It uh, has certainly taught me a lot about how to interact with uh, people in a wide variety of ways. I'm also uh, in a program through uh, Shalane Institute for Spiritual Formation, which is an organization based out of Washington, D.C. And I'm in an 18-month program studying uh, contemplative meditation. I'll be graduating in June of 2020. With that, I will be leading contemplative uh, meditation groups, both locally here in New York City and also uh, destination-based retreats. That has really been spurred on just what I felt was my uh, call to serve and share what my faith is and how I came back to my innate spirituality was actually through meditation and in the contemplative form. And so I've actually come full circle on that, and I'm super excited about that program and launching that next year. Well, we should probably talk a little bit about our um, spiritual background and what it is that we bring to this ourselves as we're talking with people with lots of different spiritual backgrounds and lots of different belief systems. Absolutely. Rock, paper, scissors for who goes first? Sure. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Both got scissors. Uh, Oh, both got paper. Wow, we have the same strategy. We clearly do. All right, fine. I'll go first. How about that? So one thing that I have learned about my spirituality in this uh, journey that I'm on is that everybody's is different, and that's okay, and that's the way it is going to be. With that said, I think back, and I've been on this uh, planet now for going on uh, 55 years, so I was aware of my innate spirituality as a young kid. 
and I would go to church with my friends, and I loved that. And then uh, fast forward a few years, the summer uh, when I was 13 years old, a group of friends, we snuck into the drive-in to see The Exorcist. Yeah, and uh, it's an interesting conversion tool. Wow. I will tell you, I had no idea what we were getting ourselves into, and it was actually very traumatizing to me because they did not know, but I had a very deep shame about the fact that I wasn't baptized. And even though I was going to church on a regular basis with my friends and whatnot, the one thing I knew or had heard at some point was that uh, because of that, the fact that I wasn't baptized, if if I died, I was going to go to hell. And so that film completely fulfilled that fear inside of me. And then you combine that with another secret that I had as I was dealing with my sexuality as well. I was figuring out, you know, clearly I didn't like girls, but I was liking boys. And growing up in mid-Missouri, this is in the 70s, early 80s. That's not a good time frame as well. So both of which just really pretty much broke me apart. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all of a sudden, I went from being a well-balanced, happy teenager, I guess, 13-year-old, and then and then it just not anymore. It was like almost like it felt like it was overnight that I was broken. And I immediately started to search for something to, to, to fill the void and numb the pain. And I like right away got into self-destructive behaviors and alcohol is part of my story as well. Like I found it at a young age. I didn't know how to cope because I thought, oh my God, if I existentially, like I am broken and mm-hmm. I'm not worthy of what would be God's love. And it's just really, it was a difficult time, but that wasn't just for a short period of time. That's like 40 years of my story. Wow. Yeah, so I had a relationship, but I just remember inside that first relationship, realizing that I could not love him because I didn't love myself and I couldn't love my parents. I couldn't love anybody. I I was incapable of love, right? Mm. And this was just gonna be my lot in life. So fast forward into uh, 2002, there was about a 10 year period where my life uh, went even to a darker place. And yet from an outward perspective, I seemed or I thought I put on a game face that I enjoyed success and I had all these nice things and I lived this life of material gain that would substitute for what gave me value Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. showed my success but yet I was uh, hurting deep inside. But during that 10-year period, I uh, really lost control. And so my binge drinking turned into alcoholism until one morning in uh, 2012, I woke up from a blackout. And the first thing that came to my mind was asking God for help, which was kind of profound at that point because I was pretty much you know, a committed atheist. I hated God or anything to do with religion at that point because I was just so angry at absolutely everything. So for me to actually ask God for help in that moment was, some of us would say, a moment of clarity, but obviously I I was grasping at straws. I knew I I couldn't do anything else but ask. So that, for the last seven years, has put me on a a different trajectory of my spiritual journey. It's not been one that's been smooth, but I've reclaimed my faith to where today, you know, I do enjoy the benefits of being whole again and and seeing the restoration of being a part of that process. And this is why getting involved with Radical Love Live is a part of that. And it's a manifestation of of my love that I have for myself and the love that I want to share with others. And especially in an open environment, like what we're going to do here at Radical Love Live. So it's a little bit about my spiritual journey with his twists and turns. Yeah, it sounds like it was a hard one, but I'm glad that it brought you here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I definitely understand what you're talking about when there are Christian 
teachings that can create some of the problems that they're actually supposed to solve. You're supposed to feel loved and to feel saved. And sometimes those very teachings can be the things that make a kid feel like they're not loved, like they're not saved, like they're not. They're not worthy. Yeah, yeah. I grew up also in the Midwest, up in Indiana. Grew up in a uh, family of preachers, a very heavily religious family. My grandfather was a minister. Several of my uncles were ministers. My dad trained for the ministry and intermittently over the years has been a missionary and and minister. The tradition that we came from is called the holiness tradition. So I grew up specifically in the Church of the Nazarene, but there are other churches like it. They're the Wesleyan churches and They're all sort of derived from that tradition of John Wesley, who decided that everybody needed to be a little bit more holy than they were, strive for great purity. Mm. Um, And there was also a social mission to that. He thought that charity and outward mission needed to be part of that. But through the 1800s and 1900s, there were all these little offshoots of the church that everyone was saying, I can outdo you in your holiness. Oh, yeah, you guys don't allow makeup. Okay, that's fine. We won't even allow women to wear anything that goes above the wrist or and it almost became this trying to impress with holiness perceived holiness yeah yeah as a kid i didn't know that there were any other forms of christianity really this this seemed pretty mainstream there were catholics in town i mean i grew up in the town where notre dame university was so everybody was catholic during the football game not during the service (laughs) but but there were even suspicions that maybe the catholics weren't quite part of the in crowd when it came to holiness So that was a tradition that I grew up in. I did learn a lot about love. My, my parents were very loving and my, my grandparents, sometimes even to the point where it sort of exceeded our teachings. There was a lot of teaching about who was going to be going to heaven and who was going to be going to hell and that there were certain people that you would, let me see, it, like hate the sin, love the sinner. Sure. Uh, sure. My family would often show love and generosity that crossed racial lines, that crossed lines of sexual orientation, that would exceed what was coming across the pulpit. Mm. And that sort of always stuck with me. But I, I did also learn a lot to be afraid of at that time. I learned a lot about hell. We were af- aware of the rapture that was going to come at any minute, that somehow the Jesus, who was the good shepherd who would go out of his way to save the one sheep, was was going to come back and leave a bunch of us behind, which was sort of contrary to some of the gospel teachings I learned later, but tell that to a little kid who's laying in bed at night wondering, like, is it going to be tonight? Am I saved? Yeah. I guess I'm actually grateful that I didn't have (laughs) knowledge of the rapture uh, theology because I was completely unaware of that. That probably would have just taken me over the edge. Well, it's definitely – and it's definitely something we should talk about through this series because it still resonates through American politics, through foreign relations, through our attitude about the environment. There's a lot of ways that these theologies still – you know, have real world impact. But as I was got into my teen years, I started to, uh, to question my faith. And it wasn't so much, you know, is the Bible true or did the universe get created in seven days or going, you know, why would God create people that were a certain way and then punish them for being the way that they were? Sure. And why would, if he wanted to forgive them, why couldn't he just forgive them? Why go through this whole process of, right. you know, I've got to incarnate and then come to earth and kill myself and, in order to appease my own anger? And it just got very complicated. And I was like, once he went through that whole process, then 
how would we be able to avoid this free gift? How could anybody escape this free gift? If somebody still went to hell, wouldn't that be, you know, that's an awfully big waste. I mean, you went to a lot of trouble to save these people. You really gave some deep thought to this. I did, I did. <laughs> well, in part of it, you know, I wanted to live a much more worldly life than I was. So I was I was also trying to kind of see, is there, is there a way around this? I want to make sure that I'm having fun and living a good life, and but still being in God's good graces. That was always part of our culture. It was sort of like a baseball game where you wanted to get to home plate before you got tagged out. You know, sure. the, like sin was coming to get you and you had to... <laughs> Could um, you steal bases? Or was that... <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. Uh, I guess it depended on which denomination you were in. Sure. Um, so by the time I got to college, I actually I had a, an axe to grind. When mm. I went to college, uh, although I was still a faithful Christian, I was convinced that I was going to find out that it was all a bunch of nonsense. I went to the same college where Joseph Campbell taught. Do you remember Joseph Campbell, the hero of A Thousand Faces, where he had this idea of the monomyth, that really all religions were sort of reflections of each other and they followed a certain pattern. There were ways in which the text of the Bible that I grew up with kind of fell apart in my hands when I started looking at the history of it and how it was built. It was challenging because there were things that I learned that I didn't want to believe. I didn't want to believe that there was so much back and forth and negotiations about what the canon of the Bible was. But there were also ways that I almost wish I had lost my faith during that time because it created a huge conflict between sure, what I was learning sure. and, and what I believed. And that was up until later in college, I, I took a class. It was called The Emergence of Christianity. Uh, and I used to jokingly call it emergency Christianity because that's kind of where I was at the time. <laughs> And started really reading the Gospels for what they were, mm -hmm. looking at, at the source materials, seeing how which pieces came from source Q or other sources, and really reading what was on the page. And hearing what Jesus was saying about the kingdom and the values of the kingdom, and that the poor would be exalted and the rich would be thrown down, and everything was all mixed up. Like the idea of, we are talking about the, the good shepherd, that he's going to leave his 99 safe sheep to go and find the one. Well, that's really counterintuitive. And anybody in the audience who was a shepherd would say, you got to be kidding me. Ditch the one. you got to stick with the ones that are, that are safe. Yeah. I started hearing about the kingdom and started thinking about it in terms of justice and love of people here and now. And you know, thinking about the Good Samaritan, and so the Good Samaritan was a guy who believed wrong in their terms, but was the hero of the story. Right. And I finally found a Jesus. I was like, oh, I get this guy. Right, right. Flash forward a, a couple years later is holding on to that image of Jesus. I still... I tried to maintain this kind of intellectual distance, a, a suspension of belief. You know, I, I would, grew up feeling very comfortable with God, like I could just crawl into his lap and say, hey, daddy, you know, how's, how's things? And now I was going, God, that is God, if you really are there and if you care about humans mm -hmm. and you're mm -hmm. listening. And I was writing about it, writing reams about you know, arguments of proofs and about God and, and not God. And one night I was sitting in my apartment and I just had to say, you know what? I'm sick of this. I can no longer deny that I believe. I have no intellectual proof for this. I know that there's a possibility that I might just be a fantasy. It might just be tradition. It might just be me trying to hold off my fear of death. I don't know. But, but damn it, I'm a Christian. And I just felt such a relief to admit that. 
Um, I was already working at the cathedral at the time, but right. it was my entry into the cathedral was actually as a job, right. not as a right. congregant. So I was up in the booth, distant from everybody. Right. And it was from that point that I got started getting much more involved. I came back. I was like, well, I'm, I guess I'm here for real now. You know, there were still a lot of details to get worked out. Of course. And I still know that I don't have it all figured out. <laughs> yeah, I, my system, if anything, is do the best that you can with what you know at any given point, but always keep an open mind because you don't know it all yet. And if you're doing those two, I don't know how God could expect you to do anything other than that. And so that's how that's how I wandered back into my faith and that that's the force that's still still leading me now. Mm-hmm.